Good morning. I'm Pastor Gibb. Uh, I do have a collared shirt on for those of you that notice those things. I do not have a t-shirt on. And a couple weeks ago, I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, when Dave teaches, he's kind of like a coach. And when Chuck teaches, it's sort of like a youth leader. And I say, well, what's it like when I teach? They go, oh, you always talk about love. So I'm going to ask if I can change my name to the love pastor. Wouldn't that be great? Okay, let's get serious. Dan did a great intro for the flood. A couple of days uh, after the flood, I was with a crisis response team from the Free Church. And we were going from neighborhood to neighborhood, checking on church people and reaching out to our neighbors. We were on Haskins and they headed to Bruce and Sandy Anderson's house. Uh, and that was one of the 40 plus homes that got flooded. We never made it. The curb was full of debris. Hundreds of people were hauling stuff out of basements and homes. It was thrilling to see the amount of help and horrifying to know the grief that people were going through. Pictures, heirlooms, lots of grief. There was trash in front of every home, except for the one we were walking by. And it was obvious, there's nothing there. But there was a woman and her daughter standing there. And we asked, are you okay? And she looked back at us and said, I don't know what to do. None of us said, oh, I know what to do. But the crisis response team immediately kicked in and started talking to her bringing in the social worker, Kat, to help. And eventually we found out she was from another church. We got them involved and she was able to get help. Today, we're looking at the great commandment of love God and love your neighbor. And ultimately, how that fits into us as a church in the future. We were great neighbors during the flood. We have it in us to have compassion. What are we doing in the future? What are we looking towards? The theme, I cannot help, I can't care for everyone, but I can love the person that God puts in front of me. Let's read Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. 
And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was and saw him and took pity on him. And that's literally a gut response on the inside, compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here's a quick overview of where we're going today. Number one, engage loving God with all of our being. Number two, engage loving our neighbor with all of our being. Three, there's an illustration. We loved our neighbors during the flood of 2020. And four, engage loving God in our neighbors now and in the future. The question was, what must I do to have eternal life? What is eternal life? Being with God and in his presence forever. The legal expert assumed he must do something to get something. So to gain eternal life, I have to do this. And I think Jesus is a great guy to ask that about. Okay? He had the right answer, but he didn't know it. It's not doing, but it's an issue of our heart. Eternal life involves responding, choosing this loving relationship with God. Read the verse. What's it say? Love the Lord your God. Your God. It's personal, it's exclusive. It's where we are placing all of our bets for eternity. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, eternal life has already started. We're being called to love God with our entire being. This is a command. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Number one, engage loving God with all my being. What's it look like to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Before starting to talk about what some of us may think of as parts, I want to to paint out a picture. We are a unified being, a whole being, soul, heart, mind, body, acting and living in unity within ourselves. 
there's a battle going on within that unity that we'll talk about in a second. We are not parts, but a unified person living together. When one parts of us suffer, it affects the whole. What is the heart? The heart is a center of all of our mental and moral activity, both rational and emotional. It captures the true self. Scripture is clear about how messed up our inner core can be. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it's a negative example. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why a lot of Christians groan when somebody says, just follow your heart. Okay? Who's running your heart? What choices have you made? It could be good. It could be really bad. Romans 10 is a positive side. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And with a heart, one believes and is justified, and with a mouth, one confesses and is saved. What do these passages tell us? Once we come to faith in Jesus, our heart can be the very place that God influences and acts in us. If we allow our flesh to control us, our heart can be base camp for the deepest hidden springs of depravity. We have to choose what's controlling our heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, above all else in wisdom literature, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What's the soul? In Greek, the soul is just breath. In Hebrew, it means life, the self, our being, our essence. In Hebrew thinking, the mind, it would be part of the soul. It's the immaterial part of man that exists after death. Genesis 2, 7 says, God breathed life into man and he became a living soul. Eternal life. He lives forever. He's a living person. What's all my strength? When I look at strength, it means that I have the ability to do something. This is not the dunamis word of power, but it talks about ability. It may be physical, but it's never just physical. To do something using our strength, we use our senses, our thinking, we process, and we act. We have the ability to do something, and then it involves our whole being. What's the mind? Our mind is that place of consciousness, bringing perception, understanding, truth, feeling, wisdom, 
judging and determining together. Again, I'm going to use two examples of positive and negative in Scripture. In Ephesians, and uh, Dave is going to do an Ephesians series in July and August. Look forward to that. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, allowing our flesh to control and do things, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, that's a negative. And it's part being controlled by the flesh. Hebrews 8 verse 10, it's a positive. For this is the covenant that I, the Lord, will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart, into their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God is putting things through his Holy Spirit into our minds and writing them on our hearts if we let him. Final thoughts on loving God. Not a suggestion, it's a command. But even with it being a command, we also have to realize it's relational. Jesus asked us, follow me, trust me, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus promises eternal life with the Father for all who believe in him. We're a unified being, all of us, working together. We're not parts, but we're unified, a whole. Being part of that unit includes this daily battle with the flesh. And it battles our desires and wants to follow God. This is a daily battle, and it will continue until the day we die. We're a unified person. And this is one reason why death is so difficult. We don't know what existence looks like without this. We don't know. It's a scary thought. Rich man in the Lazarus addresses a lot of things about what life is like after death, but that's a whole nother sermon. Some of us really struggle with loving God. We've been hurt. We've been betrayed. We've been abused. We feel ambivalent towards God. Wherever you're at today, I want you to turn towards God and take steps towards him. Maybe little steps, big steps, trust him, grow in that relationship, find other people that you can trust and work together 
on your relationship towards God. To the best of my ability, I am all in committing daily to love God with all of my being. Next, two, engage loving our neighbor with all of our being. Our expert knew the word. In fact, he knew it so well he could nitpick. Who's my neighbor? Let's not be overly judgmental because most of us at one time or another do the same thing. We play games with scripture. I think this is part of that battle with the flesh. Some of you may even be struggling. Well, I didn't like what he said about that. Okay, That's that struggle that goes on. Jesus makes it clear in this passage that loving our neighbor is not loving everyone in some superficial way, but loving lavishly that person God puts in front of me. It may be your spouse. It may be your child. It may be your neighbor. It could be a coworker. It may be a complete stranger. But we are commanded to love them as best we can. It may be 30 seconds. It may be the rest of our lives. But God is asking us to commit and love them above and beyond what we're really capable of doing. We're familiar with this example story of the Good Samaritan. The traveler is stripped. Why is he stripped? Well, his clothes may be worth something, and if we bloody him up, they won't be. They strip him. They beat him. They leave him for dead. The priest, ah, ignores him. The Levite, ah, ignores him. The Samaritan sees him has compassion. Folks, we're asking you to consider having compassion on that person that God puts in front of you. They may be irritating. They may be nice. But we're supposed to love them. Then the Samaritan doesn't just help him, he involves others in the process of healing. And he stays involved, but he doesn't give his entire life over into some relationship. He has other things he has to do. Application. This answers the challenge of engaging whoever God drops in front of us. I can't help everyone. I've tried. But I can help the person God puts in front of me. I help on an individual level and then bring that person in to a circle of friends, my church, my community to help them. You may be saying, I struggle loving. 
other people because I'm afraid if I love them, I'm going to get hurt again. It's hard, but we're being asked to make a commitment to being merciful and truthful and helping this other person. How do I love my neighbor? Again, there's that balance of grace, compassion, and truth. I listen, I give my time, I love them lavishly, I listen, and I talk and share what God is doing in my life. Do you want to learn how to listen and possibly minister better to one another? Okay, this is an unabashed advertisement. You ready? Stephen ministry training in the fall. It's a great way to learn how to listen. Okay? Great way to learn how to care for somebody. It'll stretch you. It'll push you. Okay? Men, we especially need men to minister to other men. Men need men. Men sharpen men. Man, we need you involved in other men's lives. What's the order again? God is going to drop somebody in front of me. I respond to them, realizing that God wants me to love them and minister to them in some way. If this continues... I bring in other people that I know, introducing them to other people and including them in other things. And we keep up with them. This is a great lead into point three. We loved our neighbors during the flood of 2020. I want to go back for just a second. Dan was talking about that in the video. Uh, a lot of us got woken up at 1.30 in the morning Caroline and I had trouble getting out of the house because the phone kept ringing. Leave, 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 leave. Okay? In fact, we had trouble getting out the door with the dogs. Finally, somebody called and said, come to our house. We needed a place to go. We had to leave, but we needed a place to go. And it was very gracious. In fact, the people that asked that question uh, made that statement to us, are back serving us, preparing the picnic. Great people. Church, I want to commend your response. I got to watch hundreds of people volunteering to go help. Crisis response encouraged us to go and listen. One of the big lessons we learned is if you're there helping somebody at their house and the homeowner wants to talk, you stop doing what you're doing and you go listen and you go talk to them and pray. I'm especially proud of the care teams and Stephen ministers. Go local got involved. Stephen ministers and care team were especially well prepared for this. They've been trying to listen and just pray with people spontaneously. I'll never forget Linda and George Collot walking amidst the trash, holding hands 
and going from door to door, checking in with people and praying with them and asking how we could help. For a moment here, I'd like to just thank God. This is a prayer, but it's not the end of the sermon. Father, it's a miracle that no one died. Thank you for all the people that jumped in and helped. Thank you for those who prepared meals and opened their homes. I especially want to thank you for the the leadership teams within the flood thing, for Bill, Joanne, Julie, Sherry, Kevin, Andrew, Mike, Dan, Steve, Roger, Steve Schultz, many more, many, many, many people. They were pictures of dying to self, of giving their time, evenings, weekends, planning. Thank you for them. Thank you for the teenagers that delivered 1,200 sheets of drywall and put a lot of it up. Thank you for creativity. I think of Jeff Roberts creating a bucket that pre-mudded tape to drywall. We thank you for the DG leaders who led teams on projects. We especially thank the Free Church's crisis response, Samaritan's Purse, Draw Bucket, and World Vision. Thank you that we as a body could give generously of our time and open our homes in the middle of COVID. Thank you for the other churches that came and helped, for Doxa, for Cherry Creek Community, for the chapel, for uh, Emmanuel Free. Thank you for helping us work together. Give us a vision for what you want us to do in the future. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This brings us to point four. There's a future. The challenge of loving God and our neighbors now and in the future. How do I love God? It's not easy. My flesh fights my godly desires. My flesh wants what it wants. God is calling us as a church, individually and corporately, to more. Give. Give yourself. Give your time. Okay? Love that person that's directly in front of you. As believers, we live and love God with an expectation of his second coming. I live my life believing that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In Revelation 22, 17, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Yet until he comes, we're still in this world. It floods. It's corrupt. It's also beautiful. 
it punishes people who don't bow down to its idols. We find good things and we find injustice, pain, and death. Our calling is to bring God and his love, mercy, justice into every relationship. Think about that person that God's dropped in front of you. What do we do? I want to close in reading 1 Corinthians 13. We often hear it at weddings, but the context is not a wedding. It's living in community. In fact, it's talking about spiritual gifts within that community and using them. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I wanted to go up and beat on that thing, but I didn't. Okay? If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but if not loved, I am nothing and I gain nothing. This is the crunched list that's really tough when there's people standing in front of us. Whether you live with them work with them, everything else. This is what God's asking us to do. Love is patient. Oh! Love is kind. We did a big seminar on that back in the winter. I read a book. I thought I was kind. I did really well on the test. I'm not kind. Okay? God is working on that. Love does not Envy or boast. I was just around a bunch of middle schoolers at track camp. They boast. <laughs> Love is not arrogant nor rude. It does not insist on its way. way. We have to do it my way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with what? The truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they're going to pass away. Tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, 
But when the perfect comes, that's the return of Jesus, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when Christ returns, we will see him face to face. Now, right now, I know him in part. Then I shall fully know, know fully, even as I have been fully known. God knows you far better than you know him. Love him. Care. Middle and free. Walk humbly before God. Love him. Love those people. Tell them why you love. Don't hesitate to speak that out. I love my neighbors because I love God. I love God because he loves me. And I want them to have the same joy that I have now. What does it look like for the future in Midland Free? And you might want to personalize that and say, what does this look like in the future for Gib or for me? Be ready. Our God will put somebody in front of you that needs his love and a relationship with other believers. We listen, we love, we speak the truth, we bring our friends in to help encourage and walk alongside somebody. We can do this. I'd like to introduce a family that we helped during the flood. Andrew, Bill, Jerry, would you guys come out? Okay, while we're waiting for them to transition out here, if you worked at Bill or Jerry's at least 10 times, would you stand up? Come on, stand up, stand up. Come on, come on, come on, over there. Uh -huh. Any more? Uh -huh. Okay. Gross, you're supposed to be standing up. Okay, wherever you are. Where are you? Okay. Um, if you've ever been at Bill and Jerry's in any way, dropping off meals, supplies, would you stand up and join these people that are standing? Okay. Now, if you helped in any way during the flood time, you're involved in some way, stand up. Okay. Look at, look at our body. Okay, okay, good. Please be seated, Andrew. Well, good morning. <laughs> I'm here, how about you? <laughs> Bill and Jerry, so good to have you. You obviously have a lot of friends here this morning and we're excited that you've joined us and willing to share your story. So Bill, we're gonna start with you. Hey. What was it like for you on the day of the flood? Very over overwhelming. I don't know if everybody knows the story, but in 
2017, we got caught in that flood also. And we only owned the house for three weeks. So we had been rebuilding ever since we've lived there up until 2020 and we got washed out again. And you guys were there to pick up the pieces because I was pretty tired at that point. <laughs> Didn't have the will to go on and do it again. No, a pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> Takes that too. I mean, we, we were looking at refinancing, so we ran the charge cards up and we were, we were maxed out at that point. And it just took the wind right out of us. Didn't want to rebuild. I wouldn't say that. I just said <laughs> the energy to, to redo it again is just overwhelming. Uh, the house would have been condemned before I could clean it. And it seemed like every day there was hope. People like you that gave us hope. And it, it didn't take much. It, you know, you, you, it was brought up just meals made a huge difference. It, it was just so uplifting. And, and as much help as was out there was just amazing. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to work with you and many, many, many people got a chance to do that. So Jerry, how about you tell us something, uh, a way in which you've grown closer to the Lord through all of this? Well, I've always had my own ways of believing and keeping it all inside. And when I met the people from this church, especially you, <laughs> um, this makes me cry. <laughs> um, it allowed me to open up about God and talk. And that meant a lot. I feel like a lot better person because of that. And I could go to you and ask you anything. And having that comfort really meant a lot to me. And now I talk about God all the time. And now I'm doing things to help other people because of the flood. So as bad as the flood was, there's so many parts that were a blessing. And I don't regret any of it because it brought me to where I'm at today. And I love my life because I'm giving back to other flood victims by raising money. And I love it. And it was just a path that God put me on. And I have a happy life now because of all the people that came and showed us compassion and love and support. And really helped me learn how to give it back too. Well, I love the fact that while your house still wasn't done, you were out with the Sanford Strong oh, reaching pop up out. Sanford. Pop up Sanford, yes. sorry. <laughs> sorry. Out there doing your thing. And, and we're still doing it. Yeah. And I, I brought together groups of bakers and crafters and every time we set up, they all donate to a local church that's still helping flood victims. And it's just such a wonderful gift and a wonderful feeling. Well, it's been a pleasure to work with you and Bill. We've got lots of great memories and all of those yes. people you saw standing. Come flood them afterwards. But thank you so much for uh, being willing to come in and share this morning. And thank you for all giving us all of your friendship. Friendship is so hard to find.
And I have more friends than I ever imagined that I would have because of all of you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank <laughs> you.